Welcome to So What Else. My name is Caitlin Elliott and I love talking to people. I love hearing people's stories, the big important things they've been through, and also the random stuff. We're going to talk about it all here. This podcast is just me talking with fascinating people so that we can all hear what they have to share with the world. So what else? This September marks 20 years since the attacks at the World Trade Center on September 11th. So today we actually have Vicki Yasika here with us to share the story of what she and her husband experienced that day. Her husband was actually in the towers at September 11th. Um, thankfully, he was able to get out, but she shares with us um, what they went through that day. And then the decade following how it continued to impact their family in a really, really huge way. So stay tuned. It's a really awesome conversation. Okay, welcome to this episode of So What Else. Today, I have Vicky Yasika here with me, which is weird for me to say the Vicky part because I grew up with you just as Mrs. Yasika. And as we were setting up this interview, I would keep emailing you and being like, hi, Mrs. Yasika. And you were like, can you call me Vicky, please? <laughs> so Vicky is here with us today. So why don't you introduce yourself to everybody? Hi, Caitlin. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, as Caitlin said, my name is Vicki Asika. I'm a mom of two, stepmother of three, and a grandma of 11 children, um, grandchildren, actually. Uh, we have a little farm in South Jersey, um, but my husband works full time, and I'm a Christian counselor. Amazing. Oh, my gosh. I didn't realize you had 11 grandkids. Do you see them yeah. a lot? Like, what is, what's the age range first? 14 to 3. Oh my gosh. Do you get to see them a lot? Uh, I see DJs, my oldest son's uh, kids yeah. weekly. So that's a big blessing. That's so nice. How close are they to you guys? Uh, they're about an hour away. Okay. And the other kids are up in North Jersey. Okay. So they're about two hours. Oh, so nice. it's harder to see them. Yeah, you know, yeah. Oh my gosh, 11 grandkids. I love it. So you said you live on a little farm in South Jersey, which I know there's a lot of people listening to this that are thinking, I didn't know New Jersey had farms. I thought New Jersey was just all industrial and ugly. And that's not true. We're here to tell you today, there are farms. <laughs> Vicki lives on one. So I remember, so we know each other from my dad's church, the Crossing Church in Livingston. And so we grew up going to that church, your sons and I were in youth group together. Well, they were a little older than me. I feel like I was like in like adventure club and they were in youth group. And then you guys moved down yeah. to South Jersey. You you were living like up in the suburbs and you moved down to South Jersey to a farm. What made you guys do that? I wanted fresh eggs. Yes. So my husband guy said that, uh, you know, I can't have it in the suburbs. So I said, all right, <laughs> let's move to a farm. So you and just like, we're like, hey, we want to do this. I mean, I knew you guys always loved animals. You always had so many dogs. You're the reason that we got a Shetland sheep dog. <laughs> I remember Molly. Uh, so you were just like, hey, I want fresh eggs. I want animals. Let's just do this. Yes. Yes. So we packed up and uh, just like the old show Green Acres, we just moved right down to South Jersey and and it was such a blessing because with everything that ended up happening, it was such a, uh, a peaceful place to be. Yeah. You know, and it's beautiful and um, we could just, you know, focus on things that mattered. Yeah. We used to love to come down when we were kids and see you guys on the farm because it was like so fun to see the animals. I mean, what animals do you guys have now there? Uh, we have one horse. 
We have three donkeys, uh, three alpacas. Uh, we just had 13 baby lambs born. Oh my gosh. My girls would die. We have to plan a trip down. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, oh. And then chickens, of course. Yeah. So fresh, and if you ever want to do any incubating, let me know. We used to do that too. <laughs> I remember we'd come down to the farm to visit and we would take back the eggs with the incubator and we'd turn them every day. And then we'd have our baby chicks and it was yes. so cute. But we were just talking about you this weekend, actually, because my sister, Emily, who you know, obviously, she's a vet tech. She's obsessed with animals. She was like, my dream is to have a farm one day. Mm. And then my sister, Caroline, was like, just talk to Vicky. I'm sure she'll hook you <laughs> up. Like, hello. Like, she knows all the farm in and ins and outs. Like, they can tell you how to get started. And she's like, that's my dream. It's like, yeah. I like animals. I'm not like a super animal person, but I can appreciate them, like, for visits and things. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of people got cured of their desire to be on a farm once they came down and saw the work that had to be done. Seriously. So is that like, how much of your time does that take up? Um, we finally figured out a system. Mm -hmm. You know, it took a lot of trial and error. Um, so really, it's not too bad. It's about an hour in the morning, an hour in the afternoon or oh. in the evening. And then um, we don't clean the barns out daily because of jobs, but we do them once a week. All right. And it takes a couple of hours. All right. How much land do you guys have? Uh, we have eight and a half acres. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's so nice. Like I remember coming down there when we were little and the guys would all be like in the woods doing paintball and like you had like four wheelers. Like it's just like, uh, like such a cool way to grow up. Oh, all that space. Yeah. Like that's so cool. That's awesome. Oh, all right. So. The reason that I wanted to have you on is because of your really interesting, unique experiences with September 11th. So it's interesting because this September marks 20 years since 9-11, which sounds so crazy because like to me, it feels like it was so recent. You know, I don't know. Like, I just always feel like, you know, you talk about historical events like they happened so long ago, but, you know, 9-11 to everybody, you know, that's that was alive for it, it's it's very, very real, you know? Like, it's not like talking about World War One, World War Two. you know? It's like 9-11, it, it, it's very real. I think that anybody listening to this probably remembers where they were, you know, when they heard the news and things like that. But especially in our area, in the New Jersey, New York, you know, tri-state area, I think it's even more intense than in other places of the country because almost everyone I know, at least like, knew someone in the towers or knew someone who's supposed to be there or things like that. You know, like we all know people who worked in the city and things like that. So it's definitely something that's really real and raw to people who live out here. And so for you guys on September 11th, your husband was working in the towers. Mm -hmm. So I would just kind of love to hear about your story of that day and like the aftermath. So, you know, I know that guy worked in the towers. Um, so just tell me about that day. So he went to work like he normally would. And uh, his boss was late. So they were supposed to have a meeting at 830. And they decided to go down to the 44th floor for coffee and uh, breakfast. And no sooner did they sit down than the building shook. And they just, they didn't know what happened. They just thought it was some sort of 
you know, major wind or something else, but then they looked outside and it was beautiful out. Um, and after that, they announced in the cafeteria that everybody needed to evacuate. And so they went down and hesitated to open the um, emergency exit door mm -hmm. because it just didn't seem real yet, you know? And as soon as they did, they saw other people going down the stairway. Mm -hmm. um, so his office was on the 78th floor of the North Tower. Okay. And so now they're on the 44th. And there's just a ton of people yeah. on the stairway. Um, as they descended, everybody was pretty much calm, yeah. but he had one woman behind him who became very hysterical because she was claustrophobic. Oh. So he kind of took her under his wing and tried to keep her calm going down the stairs. Um, then somewhere around the 20th floor, I think, there was another woman who was asthmatic. So he got an inhaler from another person. She was able to breathe, you know, better after using it. And then she also walked down with him. Mm -hmm. um, and then I forget what floor it was on, but uh, there was a man in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. And guy and another gentleman offered to, to help him. Oh. And he declined saying he wanted to wait um, because he didn't want to tie up the stairwell. Oh. The stairway. So uh, then they, you know, they got out, came out in the mall, and that's when they saw all the debris and all the shattered glass and papers. He said there was just papers flying everywhere. Um, so when they were then, walking down the stairs, they still had no idea what was going on. No, because they, no, you know, no one could really have reception. Right. Um, uh, cell phones back in 2001 yeah. were not like they are today. Right. And so they kind of, um, you know, there were rumors, right. but they didn't really know exactly what happened. And, but once they got down to the mall, they knew. Okay. And the mall is just that for those that don't know, um, it, it's a mini mall underneath the, the building of shops okay. on the ground level. Oh. And um, so then they came out and, he immediately got down on his knees and prayed. Mm. Um, right after that, a cab opened up in front of him with the door left open, and which does not happen in New York right. City. No. And he was able to jump into the cab and go to Grand Central Station. Wow. Um, so, you know, and then he got on the train. Well, no, I'm sorry. He stopped and, and made a call to me. Yeah. Um, at this point, that was four hours later. Right, right. Okay. So that's what I'm wondering is like what you, once you heard about it, you obviously knew your husband worked on the what floor? 78th. So he worked on the 78th and the plane hit on what floor? Uh, they say around the 91st, but okay. you know, when you think of the belly of the plane, of course, that crashed through where they were. Yeah. So you're um, thinking when you heard that, did you immediately think he's dead? I didn't know what to think yet. I yeah. kept trying to push those thoughts out of my mind. Yeah. And I just made a commitment that morning to myself that until I hear otherwise, yeah. I am going to hold on to hope and I'm just going to, you know, wait for his call. Wow. And, you know, other thoughts um, invaded my mind. Like, mm -hmm. is he hurt? Is he yeah. buried under rubble? Ugh. You know, um, what is he thinking? Is he scared? Yeah. 
you know, is he able to get out? Because the news was not showing people at that point, they weren't showing people coming out. It wasn't until after the collapse of building two Mm -hmm. that you saw the people running down the road covered in debris. Yeah. But up till then you didn't see anybody. So we didn't know if everyone had been crushed. Right. You know. So then he finally calls you, you get the call from him. Yes. And And that's when I fell apart. I'm sure. I'm sure. And what was he like at that point? Like, did he kind of like, like, was he in shock? Like, was he hysterically crying? Like, what was that phone call like? Well, once I, it came up on my caller ID as New York. So I didn't know what kind of call it was. Yeah. It could have been notifying me of my husband's death. So when I heard his voice, I just burst out crying, which made Mm -hmm. him burst out crying as well. Mm-hmm. And then he just said, you know, I'm going to get on the train and I need you to pick me up at the train station mm-hmm. because my car keys were left on my desk. Right. Oh, my you goodness. Know? Yeah. Um, and then they went on to, I'm sorry, it might not have been Grant. It was, I think it was Penn Station. Okay. Yeah. He went to, and he got on the train and they were about to, to go. And then they announced everybody has to leave the trains. Oh. And at this point, my husband being the stubborn man that he is <laughs> said, I'm not going anywhere. I just oh. came down all these flights. Yeah. Now my legs are like rubber. Yeah. Yeah. Cause eventually yeah, 44 flights. Like that's, yeah. I don't know that anybody like that's a huge amount of stairs to be walking down packed in like sardines with other people. Right. People are screaming people. Are, I mean, like that's an intense thing to go through in and of itself. Yes. And every time they got to a new floor, a more, ton more people entered in. Right. So, you know, and then just the, you know, and like I said, the on the stairwell was okay, but um, around, I think it was the sixth floor, they started to have water pouring oh. down the stairs. So now it's slippery and, you know, they have to even be extra vigil. And yeah. so by the time he got to the train station, his legs were I'm sure. a mess, you know. So he just said he was going to stay. Mm-hmm. until the train did go somewhere. Yeah. And a few minutes later they said, okay, we're actually going to go. Oh. And only a few people were on there with him. Yeah. And then he um, arrived down here around two o'clock. I think it was. Wow. So, so he, I mean, te- he was able to get out pretty quickly. Yeah. All in all, he got out before they kind of shut down right. New York city. So, I mean, what was that like when he got off the train back at home? Oh, um, it was very intense. Mm-hmm. It was very intense. We held on to each other for life, mm-hmm. you know, um, the things that you normally get annoyed with or, yeah. you know, um, became a sign of life. Mm-hmm. You know, and all I remember thinking all those times I got upset about laundry in front of the hamper instead of in the hamper. Yeah. Now I would welcome, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. so when I actually saw him mm-hmm. and he was standing there and he was alive. Yeah. Um, it was the most precious gift I yeah. could get. How was he? He was stunned. Yeah. He was stunned. He was battle weary. Yeah. You know, I think he was still trying to process, Mm -hmm. 
what just happened? Right. You know, um, he came home, he laid on the couch, people stopped by. There was somebody that delivered um, landscaping rocks uh, about a year earlier to us. And he stopped by because he remembered that guy was in the towers, you know, and it was very sweet and kind of everybody, but he just couldn't even talk. Yeah. You know, I'm sure he was just in shock. And I mean, I imagine your phone was blowing up. I'm sure people were calling from everywhere, just freaking out. Yes. Um, that morning we had a bunch of people show up at the house Uh, and I guess they just wanted, I didn't understand why. mm Mm-hmm. And then I realized later on they were staying with me in case Ugh. I found out I was a widow. Oh you know? my goodness. Um, so a few neighbors came over, woman from church, my mom, and we all sat in front of the TV, oh. you know, just watching it unfold. Uh, and then one of my neighbors yelled out that uh, Tower One just collapsed. And I felt braced. And then a few minutes later, they came in and said, no, it was tower two. And then I started crying with relief, you know, and yeah, yeah. And felt very selfish for doing that too. You know? Yeah. So talk to me about that. I mean, what, all right. So obviously initially it's shocking. It's horrifying. It's scary. Then you get the call from him. He's safe. I mean, intense relief. He Mm -hmm. gets home on the train. You see him, you have him. So, I mean, I think that it would be easy for people to think like, oh, phew, like, thank God, like he was safe. It's over. Like that was really hard, but you know, thank God he's safe. And then it's like, you just kind of like pick up and move on. But like, what was your experience like in the aftermath? For me personally, um, our problem started um, on September 12th, not the 11th, because 11 was a blessing. Yeah. You know, he came home. I had my husband, mm-hmm. you know, um, I was surrounded by, by people that loved us. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a real answer to prayer. Yeah. But then starting with September 12th, I saw the uh, post-traumatic stress that he was undergoing. Yeah. You know, and then as time went on, the company that he worked for, uh, which was a small company, Mm -hmm. Uh, they had an office in New Jersey and it was, um, they crammed everybody from New York into the New Jersey office. Mm -hmm. But what started to happen was they stopped paying everyone. So we would go weeks without a paycheck. Then suddenly we would get a paycheck. And the promise was, we're going to give you the back pay soon. Oh no. So he and all his coworkers stayed on. You know, and they try to rebuild the business. Yeah. Um, they were waiting for that, you know, back pay yeah. that kept accumulating and accumulating. And we went through so many trials as a result of that. Um, we almost lost our home. Um, we weren't able to pay bills, you know, but, um, but God provided. So did people... Did everybody in his company make it out? Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. There were only three people that got there before uh, nine o'clock. Right. So the ones that were coming in later, you know, short or late or whatever. Right. Once they knew the news, they didn't go in or, 
you know, they, they came out of the train station, but then they didn't continue. Right. So, I mean, if he hadn't gone, if his boss had not been late, because he had an early meeting that day, if his boss had not been late and they hadn't decided then to use their extra time to go down and get coffee, if he had stayed at his desk, we might be having a very different conversation. Yes. One email, one phone call, yeah. anything could have distracted them and, you know, delayed them to go down to the 44th and they would have been demolished because later on there was a news report, not a news report, a fireman's um, audio that mm -hmm. said that the 78th floor was destroyed. Oh, and he was on the north side, which is where the plane came in. So, okay. So tell me about some of the PTSD stuff that he was dealing with. Like, what does that look like? He would um, jump at loud noises, oh. sudden noises, mm -hmm. um, emergency vehicle sounds mm -hmm. would, would just shake him up. Um, he really wasn't up for talking about it. If anybody said 9-11, it was a very emotional response. You know, he would get choked up, especially if he didn't expect them to bring it up. Yeah. And to be honest with you, still today, sometimes mm. he gets caught off guard. If he knows it's coming, he can talk about it. Right. Now, not then. But he right. couldn't even talk about it. So he wrote down his testimony right away. Yeah. So that he didn't have to talk about it. Yeah. Here's what happened, you know, and, um, it ended up being, you know, kind of a, our historical record. Right. I mean, did he, like, I can't stop thinking about how you said there was a guy in the wheelchair that he offered to help. And the guy said, no, you know, I'm sure things like that he wonders about. Like, Well, I think they found out that that man never made it out. Uh, it's, I, I can't, I, I honestly can't imagine you know, like what he saw that day, what mm. he was feeling that day, and then what he had to deal with afterward. And to be honest with you, neither can I. My perspective yeah. right. is so different mm -hmm. than his. You know, I don't know what it's like to be the person that was there. Yeah. You know, even after he's explained it to me and shared right. it with me, it's just, it doesn't, words don't do it justice. Yeah. So yeah, I'm interested about that, you know, because you're right, even though it's like you're, this is your husband, this is the person you're the closest to in the world. And of course, like you experienced your own version of intense emotions that day and things like that. But yet there's nothing you can ever do to go back and be there with yeah. him and experience the exact thing with him. Right. And so his, his struggle afterwards is kind of a lonely journey for him, yes. you know, cause there's only so much that you can enter in, you know, right. I, what's that like for you? What was that like for you watching him just, you know, struggle so intensely and there was really nothing you could do. It was, it was a feeling of helplessness. Yeah. But that's where I knew that, um, God could reach the areas mm. that I can't, you know, and that was the only thing that gave me peace. Yeah. You know, that God's going to use this. He's going to, heal him in time. Yeah. You know, and, and he'll, he'll get into his mind and heart mm -hmm. uh, better than I could. Right. But you still feel helpless of because course. we want to fix it and we want to fix it right away. 
Mm-hmm. We want to make it better. We want, you know, especially somebody we love, we want them to be better immediately. Mm-hmm. You know, we want, we don't want to wait. Right. And it's hard sometimes to wait on God. Oh yeah. Did you think that there was anything, do you think that there was anything that he did that was helpful? Like were there books that he read or friends, like talking to his colleagues that went through the same thing, were they able to kind of all share together and did that help them? Or was it kind of like too hard to talk about? No, uh, they used to actually get together for lunch every September 11th. Um, so it was nice because, you know, it did create a bond for them. Yeah. You know, um, it it was kind of like the way the military bond during, you know, being in the foxhole Mm -hmm. together, you know, that camaraderie. Mm -hmm. So they had that, um, And I think that was very helpful for him. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. So you mentioned already about then the financial aspect of it. So that's Mm -hmm. okay. So that's kind of crazy to me. So how soon after September 11th, did he just like go back to work? Like they all just kind of piled in the Jersey office and it was like, okay, business as usual. It was about, I believe it was two or three weeks later. Okay. And then even their boss said, you know, if you're not up to it, right. Take your time. If you only can come in a few days you know, that's fine. Um, and yeah, the financial aspect didn't happen right away. Right. It, it started to wane, mm-hmm. but then come January is when we really got hit hard. And basically we're told that, you know, he's trying to get investors in the company. He's trying to, you know, generate sales, but then the dot-com crash was happening too. And, you know, that impacted, um, his field because he was in right. IT. So there were, you know, there were a lot of areas that were um, against, you know, against rebuilding the company. Um, yeah. So how, how long did that go on where it was just constantly like, we're going to pay you, we're going to pay you, we're going to pay you. And you guys are going month after month after month with no money. Six years. Oh my gosh. He stayed for six years. They all stayed for six they- years. <sighs> Just because they felt a sense of like loyalty to each other, to each other. I mean, the whole company, you know, stayed, even those that weren't there at the time that it happened. Right. um, Or didn't, uh, I'm sorry, that weren't in the building at the time. Right. Um, They all stayed. They all, you know, everybody was waiting, waiting for, you know, this lump sum to come. Right. and, And solve all the problems. And I think only one person left the company. And that was actually, ironically, the owner's uncle (laughs) just walked away. So how did you survive those six years? It was honestly just God's providence. It was, um, you know, my parents helped out. um, Your dad's church helped out. The New Jersey um, Bible Conference, a Baptist conference helped out. Uh, Larry Burkett at the time, he was the old um, Money Matters show with like kind of like a Dave Ramsey. Yeah. Um, it was Crown Ministries. I called into the show to say, what can we do? Like, how do we, Yeah. How, you know, is there something we can tell our creditors and what can we do yeah. to resolve this? And he ended up saying that God put it on his heart to donate $100. 
and he would encourage others if they feel God leading them um, to donate to us. And then they did it through the church down here that we were attending. Yeah. And he raised $15,000 for us. Whoa. So you called it, what was it? A radio show? Yeah. It was called uh, money matters. Oh my gosh. So you called in, he felt like completely inspired, you know, and just connected by your story. And he just, right. that's insane. It was, wow. that was, that was amazing. And that was all God. Yeah. That's a cool story. Which, okay, look, yes, it's an amazing story and that's an amazing God moment. And I'm sure it felt amazing in the moment, but even though you did get this lovely $15,000, you're still thinking, yeah, I know, but that is going to run out. Like yeah, that's only going to take us so far. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's like, you have a house, you have bills like, right. oh, I cannot imagine. I mean, what was that like? The stress of that? It was, it was very, um, well, it was very stressful. I mean, it, there were times where I felt like a gerbil on a wheel. Like, when is this going to end? Like, how long is this going to go on? Yeah. And um, like I said earlier, God would provide, but it would always be in the 11th hour. Yeah. And it got to a point where we just came to rely on it. Yeah. You know, in the beginning, we weren't sure. Mm -hmm. Like, all right, God blessed us, but now what? You know, how many times is this right. going to happen? Did I run out of blessings? You know, yes. like this quota, you know. Totally. And, <laughs> Scott and, and I talk about that all the time. Like, we're always like, if things like are, we feel like we got a blessing, we're almost like, oh, so did we use it up? Like, you know, yeah. and it's like, of course we know that that's not how God works. But like, when you're in the moment, of course, like you just feel like, okay, like we got this $15,000 check. Surely that's not going to happen again. Right? Like, right. so like, exactly. so exactly. what are we going to do when this is gone? And so we learned to just rely, yeah. you know, on the Lord. It was to the point where, you know, this, everything's falling apart. They're trying to repossess our car. Guy oh. almost went to jail because he fell behind in child support. You oh. know, his daughters were still um, teenagers at that time. Um, you know, what's, and we're about to lose our home. Oh and then all my that gosh. In, you know, this unusual force would provide or, you know, somebody came alongside us and, you know, helped out with a mortgage payment or wow. it was, it was incredible. And, you know, God not only used other Christians to help yeah. us, but he also used people that weren't Christians, Yeah, you know, and it was, um, it was really breathtaking to just see how God works. Yeah you know, and that we just stopped worrying about it and started trusting, mm. you know, so we drew closer to the Lord and in, in all this, you know, we grew, yeah. um, you know, you, you grow in the valley. Yeah. Yeah. And we were definitely in the valley. It was a big oh, valley <laughs> and it's long, right? Like I yeah. think that's when I heard you say six years, I was not expecting you to say that. And like, because I don't know, like you just feel like it's very easy when someone's going through something, right? Like we say things like, oh, it's a hard season, but you're going to come out of this season. And like, to me, I'm thinking like a hard season. So a few months, like, and so in a few months, this is going to be better. But it's like, sometimes a hard season is really, really, really long. Well, he stayed at the job for six years, but our trials and tribulations, if you will, continued for 10. Oh. 
that was a, you know, a decade of, of going through this and feeling weary. But, you know, again, I think as believers, we come out of our trials, um, instead of battle scarred, we come out with renewed faith, yeah. you know, with strength mm-hmm. and with awe. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So I want to get to that, but so was there any time in those six years that you were just like, quit this job, like leave this place because they're obviously never going to pay us. Like you have to leave. Or did you also feel like, no, I I think you should stay. I think that's the right thing. I would go through both. I would vacillate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There were times where I felt like, you know, I don't know. I don't think this is going to happen. How long can we do this? Yeah. No. And then there were other times where like, you know what, maybe stick it out. You know, how, you know, it's, it's bound to come Yeah. because the boss would tell him that, or tell all the employees that when the um, insurance company would give them their a settlement, you know, because this was a loss, right. Um, then all the employees would get paid, you know, so that was going to be millions of dollars that he would get. And that would certainly cover everybody right. you know, past due salaries. And that never happened. Did it just never happen? Like the insurance money never came in or? No, he may have just taken and reinvested it in the company, Oof. hoping that, you know, revenue would pay us, you know, but we don't know whatever happened to it. So then how did he, after six years, come to the decision to leave or did the company just go under? No, um, he just, he just realized he can't stay there anymore. Yeah. It wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got another job and uh, moved on, you know? Okay. Yeah. So tell me about, you said, even though he was at that job for six years, you said our our deep struggles, you know, happened for 10. So tell me about like those other years, like after he left. So I'm sure once he left that job, you probably kind of felt like, okay, like he got a new job, like this, things are all going to be better. Yes. Um, but when you, when you have financial hardship like that, um, you know, for every month of, you know, uh, a lack of funds or, you know, I mean, we were, we were, our credit cards, you know, were a mess. Mm-hmm. Um, he had one that he used as expenses for the company. They would always reimburse him, but it had, it, they hadn't reimbursed for a while. Oh. And because he was still working for them, it was accumulating, accumulating, accumulating. Oh. So our credit was shot. We liquidated our savings account. Uh, we liquidated uh, my boys' savings accounts. Oh. You know, their college funds just got, you know, used up. Um, our 401ks, we depleted. Oh. Uh, we had life insurance that had equity. We took that out. We, we took everything we could and depleted it before we accepted help. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So he started the new job and things were still hard. Yes. So he was at this job for about six months and it really wasn't working out very well for him. Um, So he wanted, he he received an offer for another job, Mm -hmm. but the person he was working for uh, didn't pay the last employee who left. And we really couldn't afford that because even though he had a salary to rebuild our lives financially, 
-hmm. was going to take years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So he didn't want to um, lose that last paycheck because, you know, we were dependent on it for the mortgage and everything. So he gave her um, one day's notice instead of two, which is not his normal, you know, uh, way of doing things, but because of the record she had, of course, we were going to take that risk. So, um, a few weeks later, we received, we were served with papers and she was suing them for six months worth of salary. Oh my God. Now we had a whole new level of something you couldn't have even imagined, like a trial that you couldn't have possibly, oh my goodness. So, you know, kind of felt like our feet had gotten broken, our ankles got broke. Yeah. Now, like somebody just smashed our knees, you know, Mm -hmm. and we're starting to get very crippled, you know, very quickly. Um, thankfully that all worked out and she, she lost the case because it was ridiculous. That was not, you don't sue somebody for their salary. Yeah. You know, um, and then he, he got this other job in Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. but he had to rebuild his whole identity. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was a new market. Right. It was a new industry went into telecom Mm -hmm. and, you know, he was an IT and now telecom and, he used to work in the New York field. So he knew all those contacts. Yeah. Now he had to start from scratch. Yeah. He had new contacts in this area. Uh-huh. So that's why it stretched out for so long before we yeah. started, you know, getting some momentum mm-hmm. financially. Yeah. Wow. Was there a moment where you kind of felt like I can sort of see the light at the end of the tunnel? Like, I feel like we're coming out of this. Yes. Um, we even shared that with a friend who said it's probably a train, mm. you know, based on how we, <laughs> what we were experiencing. Up yeah. to that um, uh, but we did, we did feel like there was a light at the end of the tunnel and um, all of this actually also led me to go back to school. I went yeah. back to college and got my master's in um, counseling. And it was a direct result of what we went through. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So that's what I would love to talk about is that you said it before how, you know, like as Christians, like we can come out of like these very, very dark seasons with renewed faith and renewed strength, you know? Um, But you know what? Not always like, right. Like I think that we all know some Christians, right. That the, the, their trial kind of takes them out, you know, and like they lose faith and things like that. What, do you think helped you guys to cling deep and push deeper into your faith? During this whole time, you know, as I mentioned earlier, in the beginning, I would panic, Yeah. you know, because you have to be responsible. You have to have finances. How do we do this? We have to get these bills paid. Um, I remember asking your dad, am I being, am I in denial right. or am I just trusting the Lord? Right. And he said, no, because you realize your circumstances. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so all these things led us to a deeper um, understanding mm-hmm. of faith of the Lord. We dove deeper into scripture. We dove mm-hmm. deeper into praying. Mm-hmm. You know, we were surrounded by so many Christians in our lives that just held us up and built us up. And that was just um, an incredible experience, yeah. you know, while, while the fire is going on over here and we could feel the flames, 
Yeah. We still weren't getting burnt, you know? Yeah. And that was um, thanks to, you know, everybody that was praying for us and thanks to the Lord for, you know, carrying us through it. Yeah. Um, and it was just amazing to see one thing after the other turn out, you know, even though there were things that were happening that were bad. I mean, in that time frame, um, two of my cousins died mm. from a brain tumor, one from um, a, a stomach issue. I can't remember the name of it right now. And my father was diagnosed with cancer oh. and he died. We took him in here on hospice. Mm. You know, my brother ended up having open heart surgery. I mean, all these things were yeah. going on, you know, parallel to what we were dealing with. So it wasn't just our financial lives that were affected. We were, we felt like we were under attack on every front. Yeah. You know, so we clung to the cross. Yeah. We had to. And I'm sorry that that was like our last resort. First, yeah. let's see what we could do. Let's see what, how we can handle this. Yeah. And then finally we came crawling, mm. you know, to the Lord and like, please help us. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's beautiful. That really is. So tell me about going back to school and becoming a counselor. So I looked into Liberty University yeah. and um, they only had a few career choices for online studies. Mm -hmm. And one of them was um, for undergrad was psychology. Mm -hmm. So I, I did that. And then I wanted to do, you know, something more. Um, and I went back and did the, I continued rather with the master's program mm -hmm. and went into family and marriage counseling and everything that we have gone through mm -hmm. has been useful because God has sent me people mm -hmm. that are experiencing similar problems, you know, because it's not just a nine 11 mm -hmm. event. Of course. A lot of these financial problems affect other people now with COVID. Yep. You know, yeah. um, hard times are hard times. Doesn't yeah. matter what the cause is, mm -hmm. you know, and not only did I know how to handle it clinically from, you know, my studies, mm -hmm. but I could personally relate yeah. and understand what, what someone was going through. Absolutely. I mean, I think that that makes you so, I mean, of course, yes, the schooling is very, very important. But the fact that you've walked through what you've walked through helps you just like have so much empathy for the people that I'm sure are sitting there in front of you, you know, because you have suffered. And I know what their thoughts are. I know what their yeah. fears are, you know, and um, I do have compassion for that, mm -hmm. you know. So God took something that was really, really bad and he yeah. used it for good. Wow. I mean, I talk about it all the time on here. Like we are huge fans of counseling. Like I have been in counseling for about six years. My husband goes like everybody that I ever talk to. I'm like, you should really go to counseling. Like You should really, it's just like, I think that it's just so powerful, you know, to be able to sit and have that time where you speak to this person, you know what I mean? Who's like able to listen with unbiased, you know, like very non-subjective ears, you know, and just kind of give you, help you, you know, ask you the right questions and things like that. And I think that that's amazing. So. And unfortunately, you know, sometimes people see counseling as a negative, 
you know, right. or you're embarrassed by it. Mm. And all it is, is just a, um, an educated friend yes. in the field that can help you. You know, it's not mm-hmm. um, because you're helpless. It's mm-hmm. actually because you're, you have the wisdom to step outside of yourself and go to somebody who has the expertise mm-hmm. to guide you. Absolutely. I, I absolutely like I before I went to counseling, I remember thinking like, is counseling like for crazy people? Like, do you have to be like completely like falling apart, cannot function to have to go to counseling? And then it's like you go and you realize like, no, the healthiest people on earth could benefit from this. Like, you know what I mean? Like this is if you are a human with a pulse, you can benefit from this process. You know, we all turn to somebody if we have a problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I love that. I love it. So tell me about your book. Now, after our 10 years, um, when it was actually coming up on the anniversary, yeah, I wrote a book called uh, Wounded But Not Broken, mm-hmm. 9-11 A Decade is a subtitle. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it describes, um, it has Guy's testimony in the beginning and describes what he experienced and mm-hmm. You know, how it was really all all of his senses, his mm. sight, his hearing, his, you know, smelling, even the taste of smoke mm. and ash on his mm. tongue, you know, um, and his feelings. It describes it all in detail. And then we did this parallel of while he was doing that, you know, this is what was happening on the home front. Yeah. Um, and then later on, it goes into... Um, a description of the trials and, you know, each individual trial and, and how God worked it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and some things that, you know, there were times where God was silent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was really a step of faith, mm-hmm. you know, because I didn't feel, I, you know, I drew that intimacy and all of a sudden that intimacy seemed to stand still. Yeah. You know, and it was then that I realized um, that verse of "Be still and know that I am God." Yeah, and what it really means, mm-hmm. you know. And in our culture, we don't know what it's like to be still, mm-hmm. you know. And and just taking your breath and being still and know that He is God. Well, knowing is an intimate term. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what it means to be God. How can I? Yeah. You know. So I really started meditating on that verse and realizing I don't need to know what it means to be God. I just have to be still and know that he is God. Yeah. You know, and as a creator of, of the universe and of all things, I can rest in them. Mm-hmm. He is greater than anything, any problem mm-hmm. that I'm dealing with. Yeah. You know, and, but I have to trust him with it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and understand that his ways um, are not my ways and that I have to trust that the Lord's ways are the right ways, no matter what, no matter what the outcome. Yeah. And that was what I drew on, on nine 11, that I could potentially be a widow, Mm -hmm. but until I hear otherwise, I won't think that way, Mm -hmm. but that is a potential. Yeah. And I'll have to deal with that with the Lord as it happens. Yeah. And I'll have to walk with him, you know, um, no matter what happened that day. Wow. I mean, your strength, your faith, 
it's so evident and beautiful. And I think that this is going to encourage so many people. Obviously, I doubt there, maybe, but I doubt there's someone listening to this that went through your precise story, right? But people, everyone that has listened to this, that is listening to this has been through some kind of trial, you know? And just the fact that yours was so long. And like you said, I love how you said there were long periods of time where it felt like God was silent you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, so what do you do in those moments, right? Do you leave or do you just continue to just walk the path? And I think that that's really, really beautiful. So it's called wounded, but not broken. Where can we get it? Um, If you go on amazon.com, enter the, um, the title and then go to other sellers. Okay. Inspired books is my company. Okay. Um, And I can autograph it um, and send it directly. Love that. Okay. We will link to that in our show notes. I love that. Um, all right. So I, that, I mean, thank you so much for sharing your story for real. I mean, I just think that that's going to touch so many people. So we always like to take it out on kind of a lighter note. So are you a TV watcher? Are you watching anything good? Uh, I'm watching the rookie. Oh, wait, what is that? What's that on? Well, that's a good question. (laughs) That's where, you know, DVRs come in handy. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll look it up. We'll look it up. Yeah, it's on one of the major networks, but okay, it's yeah. got a, a guy my age who is um, changing careers and starts out as a rookie um, and, you know, to be a cop, but he has all the wisdom of his years that he brings into that and, um, you know, solves crimes and things like that. But it's really, it's I like the twist of, you know, the old cop trying to keep up with the young cops. I like that. That sounds fun. Uh, you know, my niece was telling me the last time she was here, she's really into, is it Blue Bloods? Is that, an, that's like a cop show, I yeah. think. I That's been on my list to watch too. The Tom Selleck, I think. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. So that's also on my list. So I'm going to add this. So are you a reader? I mean, we now we know you're an author. Do you read anything good? Um, yeah, I, I read a lot of nonfiction. I'm reading yeah. um, actually a book called Saving Christianity. Mm. by Michael Youssef. Okay. And it's just encouraging people, you know, not to give into the culture, mm-hmm. you know, the changes because culture is always going to change, yeah. but God never does. Mm. You know, we have to stay true to the Bible and to God and not feel the pressure of society, mm-hmm. you know, to adapt to, you know, whatever's in vogue this week. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. Anything else? Uh, no, because that's all I can retain at my age. <laughs> Seriously. No, me yeah. too. I can't. I'm like, I'm a I lot. Read book at a time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I should be able to read way more than I do, but you know what? It's okay. I have small children. I blame them for all of my shortcomings. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so your grandkids that you see every week, DJ's kids, do you watch them once a week for them? Yes. Mm-hmm. How, and what are their those kids' ages? Um, Jacob is eight. Uh, Liam is going to be turning six next month and Abby is three. Oh, so they're little. So they have, have they been just doing remote school this year or are they in school? Uh, no, she's homeschooled this year. Oh, good for her. A saint. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I don't know if I could ever do it. I mean, granted every parent in America basically had to do it all last year, but I had several of my friends 
uh, in my life group this year, like everyone was kind of like trying to decide, like, do I send my kid? Do I homeschool? Do I not? So I had several friends that dipped their toe into homeschooling and they were petrified, but they actually really loved it. I know it was a challenge for her to make that decision. Yeah. But, um, she doesn't give herself enough credit, but she's doing a really good job. Oh. You know, with the kids, it's a big learning curve. Oh my gosh. You know, for any, anybody, even a, as you know, yeah. you know, first year teacher. Oh my gosh. You, know, you learn the ins and outs, you know, yeah. that first year. And it's, it's like with your own kids, it's different. so much harder. Like yeah. it really, really is. Like it's, it sounds like it would be easy. Like, oh, it's your child. Just talk to them. It's like, no, no, no. Cause like, honestly, like students in school are less likely to like talk back or like whatever than your own children, your own children, are like yeah. whatever, you're my mom, you know? Right. This is a safe haven. This is exactly. where they can let it out. <laughs> well, I give her a lot of credit, but I'm sure that they so appreciate your support. Grandmas, I don't know where we would be without them. Well, I, I don't know where I'd be without the grandkids. Yeah. You know, and they're just, it's a whole new level of love. Yeah. And it's, it's just beautiful and they're amazing. And, um, it just fills my heart, you know, even, even on some of the, uh, tougher days, mm -hmm. you know, I just, uh, think of them and that brings a smile to my face. Oh, I love it. I love it. Your story is awesome. Thank you so much. I mean, you and Guy are just an inspiration. Everything that you went through, I mean, it's hard, it's beautiful, and you guys are so strong. And I just think that this is going to help a lot of people. So thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for having me and, and taking an interest in the story. Of course, absolutely. And we'll make sure to link to your book in our show notes so people can get it. Thank you, Caitlin. Yeah, and make course. sure to come down and see the lambs. Absolutely. Are you kidding me? Oh, you got to text me a picture and I'll show it to Jace. She'll freak out. <laughs> oh, okay. I will. I have a, picture, a brother and a sister and they're absolutely adorable. Oh, that's cute. We have to make a trip. That'd be so fun. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to like and subscribe right now before you go. And hey, if you want to toss us a five-star rating, I would love you forever. Check us out next week for our next episode. You can catch So What Else anywhere you get your podcasts or at CaitlinElliott.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at so.what.else. Artwork by Caroline Chicola and editing and everything else by Scott Elliott. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week.